So we want to get into the scriptures, and today we are starting something new. We are starting a summer series called Imagine If. Imagine If is going to be based on the parables of Jesus. So each Sunday, we're going to take a parable, and we're going to talk about imagine if that parable were fully lived out in our lives. What would they look like? And today, I'm going to kick it off, but we'll be hearing from Jonathan. We'll be hearing from Tony. Uh, We may be hearing from a candidate for our new co-pastor, and we'll talk about that more later. Thank you, Kristen. But for today, we are going to be in the parable of what we call the Good Samaritan. And so to read that parable, Colsey Simcoe is going to come up and join us. Would you make her feel welcome about reading? Colsey will be reading from the NIV, and the words will be on the screen. So you can read along. There you are. You want to check that out, see if it's working? Check. There we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll be sit and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took him out. Sorry, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Hmm. Thank you, Colsey. Yeah, let's pray as we... Uh, start to unpack this a little bit. Father, we thank you for uh, the way that you preserved the words of Jesus for us uh, through uh, the, the centuries where many people try to destroy it. We praise you that we have that word today. We receive this word as from you, Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, as we consider what this might mean, would you let us know for sure what it means? Show us. Holy Spirit, what this scripture means. Show us what it means to live in the goodness of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I can imagine some other titles for this particular parable. We've said the good Samaritan. That seems to be a contrast to other Samaritans that weren't good. I don't really think that's the point of the passage. I think maybe a better title might be the good neighbor, because that's really what Jesus is after. So let's do a little studying here and take a look at it in detail.
All right, going back to the beginning, uh, sorry, but the uh, community center insists that I log in. There we go. All right. I'm just going to have to go off your slides, Jeremy, because it won't let me do anything else. Okay, so let me contextualize this a little bit for you because we are not first century Jews. The characters in this particular parable, we may not understand exactly who they are and what the significance of them is. So we could say it this way. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, this would not have been judicial law that we would consider, you know, the laws of the land. This would have been, in particular, the laws of the scriptures, the Torah, the Jewish law. And so we might say maybe a seminary professor might be a good equivalent for us, someone who did a lot of studying in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So we could say on one occasion, a professor, a seminary professor stood up to test Jesus. So we can see but by that word there was antagonism here. This is an attempt to try to undermine Jesus' wisdom, look for heresy, uh, to test him, to challenge him. So this seminary professor is challenging Jesus and asks this very big, very maybe theologically dangerous question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a very weighted, very loaded question. Jesus, again, as always, is very wise in the way that he handles this kind of thing. He never steps into it. He never allows himself to be caught in a trap. And so one of the things he does regularly is to respond with a question. And I would just suggest to you, sometimes when people ask you a question, and you can kind of tell they're asking me this question because they want me to step in it. <laughs> they're just inviting some kind of an argument, something to push back on. And you might consider responding with a question as well. I think it's a wise way to go. And Jesus does it. And so he says to him, uh, <clears throat> what is written in the law? And again, this guy's an expert in the law. So he's happy to respond. I don't even think he really thinks about what he's going to say. He's like, oh, I'm on. I'm a lawyer. I know the law well, and I'm going to speak. And so he says, and he says rightly, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Those are actually two separate commands, but they're in the Torah. They're called the Shema, which is something that every Jewish child would memorize. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then your neighbor as yourself is a secondary command that is always attached to these two. So he gets an A from Jesus. He says, well done. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. At this point, the lawyer is frustrated. He was looking for an engagement. He was looking for an issue in which they could wrestle and argue. And instead, Jesus has this guy bring up this issue. And it, it's very simple. There's nothing complex about it. And so that's why it says, wanting to justify himself. In other words, right now, he looks foolish. He wanted to get up and have this scholarly debate and hopefully embarrass Jesus, and it failed. Jesus turned it on him, and he answered very simplistically. And Jesus basically said, good job, end of debate. So he's standing there feeling kind of like egg on his face, like, dang it, <laughs> this is not what I was after. So he tries to engage again on something technical, something specific. Such a Jewish tradition among the men was to argue these kinds of things. And so he asks the hardest question he can think of, well, who is my neighbor? Let's, let's go to a technicality. In other words, what are the expectations of the law? What am I supposed to do and what am I not supposed to do? 
What's the requirement here? Who is my neighbor? Jesus is happy to answer this question. And so the scripture moves forward in this way. And I hope you can catch, I have a feeling there's a lot of humor in here. There's certainly a lot of extreme in here. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. This was commonly known to the people at the time to be a dangerous route to take. I'm super curious. Is there any dangerous route in Sherwood where you would say, yeah, at night you shouldn't go down that road? Not, re- not really, right? <laughs> this is, what's that? Stella Olson. Stella Olson? Okay. Ah, that park at night maybe, the walking paths? Okay. Well, there you go. That's a great example. So that's the idea. Okay, a man was in Target when the computer systems went down. That's, that's the setting. This is a dangerous place to be. Yeah, very dangerous. Although this place was not crowded, this place was actually very lonely. So the man is traveling alone. He probably has a donkey. It's probably loaded with goods, and he's headed somewhere. And there are robbers who know the right place to sit, the place that's the most desolate, the place where what they do isn't seen, and they mug the guy. And they mug him very violently. They don't just take his donkey and the goods that he has with him. They take everything he's wearing. And then just out of spite, they beat him up and leave him for dead. So it's a very violent mugging. It's not, it's, yeah, it's intense. So here's what happens next. Apparently a priest by himself. Now we don't have priests per se. We're not Catholic and this isn't even a Catholic priest. This is a Jewish priest. So I would say a good equivalent would be probably a pastor a religious leader, a pastor, was, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man lying there naked, half dead, he passed on the other side. Nobody's around to see it. This is a moment of integrity. Nobody's watching. <clears throat> I can actually do what I want to do, and I want to not get involved. Don't know why he says this. A lot of reasons that he may have said this, but he chose not to get involved. So too, a Levite, when he came by to that place and saw him pass by on the other side. Levite, again, what does that mean? I would say maybe a a contextual equivalent for us would be a worship leader. Uh, Levites were those who led worship in the temple. So a worship leader went by, and he had the same conclusion. He saw the man, he moved away from him, and went by on the other side. And then Jesus says, a third man comes by, and he says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. Help me out. What do you think is a good equivalent for us when we say Samaritan? An atheist? Okay. Definitely some religious differences. I think we all kind of know that between good, devout Jews and Samaritans, there was a lot of uh, tension, a lot of conflict. A Samaritan would have been both religiously and ethnically different would have been the other, would have been the non-respectable. So it would be politically tough for us to identify someone and not insult anyone by doing it. (laughs) But you could say, um, maybe uh, for some of us, you could say a a Hispanic Catholic, just somebody both ethnically, not different than all of us, but most of us in the room, (laughs) ethnically different and in some ways religiously different. The Samaritans weren't actually atheists. They actually believed in Yahweh, but the ways that they practiced and taught were different, and the, the, those were in conflict with each other. Maybe even you could say um, maybe an African-American Mormon would be an, another way to say it, right? 
a Muslim extremist? Yeah, it could be that much. Absolutely, yeah. So someone that we as the crowd listening might not respect, we might say. So do you see what's happening here? Jesus is saying two leaders went by this man, both of whom you would respect. Rick and Peter went by this guy, a pastor and a worship leader, and they walked by on the other side of the, of the road. But a Muslim extremist went by and he actually moved toward the man. And I want you to notice this critical thing. All three travelers saw this man. All three travelers perceived the need. He was naked, he was bleeding, he was unconscious. So everybody saw the need. And there's two responses. One response was actually to deliberately move away and to walk by on the other side, not even to get close. The other response, the last person, the one we would not respect and not see as a leader, actually went toward the man to do something about it. And if that's not enough, take a good look at just how generous, gracious, and hospitable the man was. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. These would have been two of the most expensive commodities that this man would have had with him. It wasn't just that he got out some water, but that he actually used his wine and his oil to take care of the man. He bandaged his wounds, and then it says he put him on his own donkey. So traveling with a solo donkey probably had been riding it. He chooses instead to hoist this man up, put him on his donkey, and to walk beside the donkey. And this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 13 miles or some way halfway in between. So the man has really begun to sacrifice what he has, the best that he has in the way of resources, including his donkey. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Denarii is, a denarii is about a day's wage, the average day's wage. If you think about the parable of those that came to work for the man in the vineyard and he paid everybody a denarii, that's fairly typical. I figured it out, and in Sherwood, that would be about $300. If you take the mean income in Sherwood, Oregon, and uh, you figure that out by the day, that would be about 300 bucks. So in our terms, this man took out $600 and gave it to the innkeeper. How long would $600 last you at a cheap hotel here in Sherwood? Maybe a week? Maybe a week? Okay, so about a week's worth of money. And then he says, please look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So quite clearly, the man has done everything you could possibly want to have done for you if you were in this place. He gave all of his resources. He gave enough to help this man be restored to health and to wholeness again and did it quite generously. He's even trusting the innkeeper. Apparently, he did have somewhere to go, but he knows that in a week he can come back and see how it's going, reconcile the debt, and make sure the man is taken care of. So really generous, really hospitable, everything you could want. And if you think about the words, love your neighbor as yourself, this is a pretty incredible example of what that would look like, right? Love your, like, what would you want people to do? I think if you ask this man, what would you want somebody to do for you? The Samaritan hit the mark on every single request. Take care of me, get me to safety, provide enough for me to recover, make sure that I'm in good health and send me on my way. And then Jesus asks the lawyer a tough question now. He asks the seminary professor, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The beauty of this is there's no way you're going to get this wrong. 
right? Like, Jesus just makes it super. This guy is intelligent. This guy is an adult. This guy has a doctorate. And Jesus asks, among those three people, who do you think did the right thing? So he can't say anything else except the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Do you notice how Jesus twists the question? What was the question that the lawyer asked Jesus? Who is my neighbor? What is the answer that Jesus ended up giving him? What's that? Someone who's merciful, yeah. But the actual, in the end, he said, who is being a neighbor? The man was making the neighbor the object. If I'm going to do an action, who's the object of the action? Who is my neighbor? Jesus actually says, what's the subject of the action? Who is the one who is being a neighbor? Just quite incredibly, Jesus turns this entire conversation onto this teacher in the law. He stood up to test and challenge Jesus and find Jesus, find Jesus at fault. But Jesus turns it around and says to the man, are you being who you know you should be? In a beautiful way, because the expert of the law set himself up when he said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And then Jesus is basically asking the question, how are you doing at loving your neighbor? Which would you do? And obviously, this teacher of the law would identify much more with the Levite and the priest. The Samaritan would have been highly disrespected. It's really a powerful story. And I believe one of the main things that Jesus is wanting to say in this is that those who truly follow God are those who simply do the right thing. Those who simply do the right thing. The right thing that probably every human knows is right. See, it didn't take theology and it didn't take being an expert in the law to figure out which of these three men was being the good neighbor. Anyone could have answered that question. So all of the learning of this man, all of his ego, all of his wanting to get into this high-level debate with Jesus was completely undermined by this simple question, who's doing the right thing, humanly speaking? Now you go do the right thing. Make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> so imagine if, imagine if our work as followers of Jesus was simply to do the simple human thing, the simple human goodness. I did not read that well. Imagine if our work as followers of Jesus was simple human goodness. This is where I think today we can land as well. And you would have to define this question for you uh, in your way, specifically for you. But I think in a time in our culture and in our politics and in our religion, we've really allowed things to get super complicated. And in the complication we have fractured into tribes and sides, and we've taken positions. And what I hear the Spirit of God telling us today, us specifically, Colossae Sherwood, in this passage is, hey, can I call you back to simple human goodness? And I don't mean to water down the gospel and the things that need to be understood and taught, but just back to a mindset of, hey, let's, let's take a break from all of the debates and all of the confusion and all of the um, politics and the political correctness and all these different ideas that we seem to rally around and want to debate. And let's just agree together on what human goodness is and then let's do that. I really do believe that we as Christians are equipped better than anyone else to step into true human goodness. 
and really be able to do it. I also believe we live in a culture right now that wants this. I hear a lot of, especially a lot of those on the liberal side, really want us all to agree on what it means to be a good human and how good humans can act. And I think in some ways they're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, I think environmentalism and caring for the planet, that was mandate number one in Genesis 1. God said, take care of the planet. I have created a playground for you. I've created a farm and a zoo for you. There's animals everywhere. There's plants everywhere. There's lots of space to do stuff. Go have fun. Take good care of it. And that's pretty much the environmental message is, are we taking care of it? Are we sustaining the earth as it is? Now, I'm speaking very simply, but in many ways, the values that God would say are common human goodness are being out there today. I, I believe when it comes to uh, the LGTBQ community, <laughs> the number one message most people are wanting to say is, hey, these are real humans who ought to be loved. And we would agree with that, right? Isn't that where we start with hospitality and kindness and generosity? Those are the great values of Colossae. Not to undermine or undo or dilute anything we understand about morality or about um, sin. I'm not undermining that or diluting it. But square one with Jesus, and every human would agree, is we begin with acceptance. We begin with love. We begin with open arms. And then we move forward from there. And I really believe through this parable that God is calling us back to that kind of thing. Again, there's a culture out there that is saying these things, and yet what amazes me is how they're not very good at them. They really fall short themselves. They say you need to love everyone by hating those who they think are failing. And so there's this message of love everyone, love everyone, but if they don't see that you're loving everyone, they will hate you. Super inconsistent really missing the mark. Because humanly, we just can't pull it off. Simple human goodness is actually very difficult because of sin, because of corruption. But through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through forgiveness of sin, we actually have the power to do it. And, and the question to ask today is, is, are we doing as good as we can? And what does it look like to do as good as we can? We're the ones who actually have the strength and the power to forgive and to understand and to be patient with brokenness, and to be consistent in the things that are good, and the world does not. We have the opportunity really today in the culture we live in to be leaders in the direction where people actually want to go, I think. I would say in general, the generation that is out there now doing most of the, the protesting and the challenging is a generation that wants to go toward love and harmony and peace and mutuality and equality. There's these beautiful underlying um, virtues that they're after. But again, they're going to discover quite quickly they can't pull it off. They can't pull it off. But we can. We are the people that can. And so I think the encouragement and the call today is to say, hey, can we actually move away from all the debates and the complexities and the teachers of the law? And can we actually just step into simple human goodness and doing the right thing? that everyone knows is the right thing. I heard a liberal speaker last night on NPR telling his story, <clears throat> and he even kind of self-confessed. He said, I'm a liberal. It means I know what to do. I know what's right, but I never do it. Or I, I, don't, I don't feel called to action. And it was kind of a, it was an awkward, but it was a self-confession that I stand on the soapbox and I proclaim things, but don't expect me to do anything about it because I'm a liberal and that's what we do. And it was so ironic to me to hear him say that. He was confessing something quite real, 
And he was also confessing, I know the right thing, but I can't do it. Whereas in Christ, we actually know the right thing and we can do it. We have the ability by the Holy Spirit to be patient and to be tolerant and to be peaceful, to be people of shalom, to not need to prove a point in every conversation, but actually to look to the person in front of us and to ask the question, what does this human need today? And is it within my power to give it to this human? What does this person need? Not, is this person someone I can win an argument with? Is this person someone I can put down? Is this person someone I can write off as someone I don't need to respect? But instead, how can I meet the need of the human in front of me? And that's really what Jesus was showing. We had a teacher in the law who understood everything. We had a Levite. And we had a priest who were men who were supposedly profound and powerfully equipped leaders in the way of God who walked by on the other side in the presence of a man who was dying. So incredibly ironic. Just like all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. That just blows me away, all those stories, because these men were the shepherds of people. They were the ones with all of the funds that belonged to the temple. They were the ones with supposedly the Holy Spirit and the truth and the ways of God. And they got mad because the sheep they loved got healed. And they didn't like the day that it happened on. So ironic. So ironic. I wonder if we might need to take a good look at our own lives and say, are there any ways in which I'm being super ironic as well? Based on the things that I say I believe and the things that I know to be true, is there a place in my life where I'm living kind of inconsistently with what the scriptures say? Imagine if our work as followers of Jesus was simple human goodness. I think this morning we could take Uh, the opportunity to practice this just a little bit and be encouraged by by that practice and just be reminded of the power that we have in God. And maybe in this way, one of the amazing things that God has given us is the power that he is willing to share when we pray. Uh, I think it's amazing to realize, too, I've heard from a lot of people, anybody offered to pray for someone in public recently? And you have just said, I, I, can I pray for you? I won't ask you to tell the story, but <laughs> yeah, I've heard this from some of you. And I do believe that in the culture that we are in, this is one of the, the doors that's open to us. There's a sense of spirituality out there in general. There's a sense that we need something beyond ourselves. And the goal is not to debate right now about what that is or what a higher power is. We know it's Jesus. But that's not the first point we should necessarily make with the human in front of us. If we could get a human in front of us to agree that someone we can't see outside of ourselves is willing to help in the moment, and you want to invite that person in, that just sounds like good news to me. And if they misunderstand who we're praying to, I wouldn't say that's agenda number one. I'd say agenda number one is to let that powerful person work in the moment, and then we'll clarify who it is later, (laughs) right? Does that make sense? Yeah, we have such a tremendous opportunity in our culture to say to people, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And I think of all the places, the church is certainly a place we can do that. So what I want to do with the few minutes we have left before we move on to worship is to give us a chance to pray this morning a little bit, to do a simple human goodness to one another in the name of Jesus. So I, I ask you this morning, is there, are there a couple of people here, a few people in the room, 
that could honestly and vulnerably say, help. <laughs> I could use a little help. Today, something isn't right. Something's broken. I'm anxious about something. I'm fearful about something. And I would welcome a few safe people to pray for me. So anybody this morning would, would, would appreciate being prayed for. Just let us know. Put up your hand. Yeah. Kirsten? Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? What we're going to do, just so you know how safe this is, we're just going to get in little groups around these people. So no microphones and, you know, nothing in the whole room. But just what I'm looking for is who can we pray around today? So who else could use some prayer? Yeah. Thanks, Vic. Nate? All right. Yeah. By the way, folks, Austin and Chelsea are visiting us this morning, and Austin said I could use some prayer this morning. Thanks for being vulnerable. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay, we've got Kirsten and Austin and Nathan Otto and Vic and Jeremy. Okay. Yeah, so if you would, uh, in just a minute, would you just go to these people, and let's keep this simple. If you, as the one asking prayer, want to share any details at all, great. You don't have to, uh, but if you want to, that might help those people pray for you. And then let's just have half a dozen folks go to these people right now, and just stand around them, kneel around them, sit next to them, and let's just pray over them. For the rest of you, you can stay where you are and do some praying as well. <clears throat> I really feel like God has a longing to hear from us today a little more. We've done a lot of teaching. We've done a lot of singing. We've done a lot of conversing. But I think prayer is really on the heart of God today. So let's take 10 minutes, pray for these folks, and pray for whatever's on your heart. We thank you that you're here to meet that need. We thank you that we could come around and love them. Father, we're so grateful for new life in you that we actually have the hope of life being different, life being better, and ultimately being made right and complete in Jesus. God, we praise you for that. And all these things we pray together now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so good to be with you guys today because you are good people. Jesus has made you good. Jesus is, is remaking your hearts, and he's remaking your minds, and he's making you good. And to be in a room full of good people, at least for a couple of hours a week, is pretty awesome. So I just want to affirm that God is good and that he started a good work in you, and he's just he's continuing. We are not one beggar finding another, telling another beggar where to find bread. We're not beggars anymore. Jesus has set us free from begging, and we can ask a gracious Father for things. We are saints. We are the church. We are new in Christ. And we don't need to feel like that's an unhumble thing to say because all we're doing is glorifying Jesus because we got here to where we are as people who are getting good because Jesus is here and because the Holy Spirit is here. Is he effective? Is Jesus effective in his work? Yes. Are you his workmanship? Yes. Is he effective in you? 
Yes, thank you. <laughs> I heard there was some hesitation. I saw a little of this. That was sweet, but you're wrong. <laughs> you are his workmanship. He is making you better. And one day, that work will be done, and we'll be complete in Christ. Who's ready to be complete? Yes. So tired of being incomplete. But the day that that happens, we have to shut the door to so many people that still need Jesus. And so we wait. And we celebrate the cross. And we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to be singing some great songs. To, we always sing great songs. But the songs we sing today, I think, are particularly chosen by the Spirit for today. And I just encourage you to, together as family or friends, go to the table. If you're visiting, the way we take communion is that we, when we are ready in the next couple of songs, we go to the table and we take the cracker and we dip it in the juice or the wine, depending on your tradition. Gluten-free cracker. Represents the body of Jesus the juice and the wine, the blood, saying, thank you, Jesus, that through the giving of your body and your blood, we can be made new again. That's what we're celebrating today. If you would like more prayer, there'll be a couple of people over here on this carpet during the last two or three songs to pray for you. But in the midst of that, worship in the way you want to worship, in spirit and in truth. Let's worship God together.